the Full of Bones for this week. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, we're going to pick up uh, with our roundtable discussion from a few weeks ago. But I did want to let you know why we took a couple of weeks to put out part two. Um, the last two weeks, we've seen uh, Hurricane Ian come through Florida. I live in central Florida, and so uh, we were dealing with that for the first week. And then this week, um, there was a Polk County Sheriff's Office deputy that was shot and killed. And I am a chaplain with the Polk County Sheriff's Office, and so... I uh, was called out about 3.30 in the morning to be with the family of the officer that was killed and was there most of the uh, morning. And so um, just part of ministry, but uh, I wanted to get back to part two. And so we left off with the joys of ministry. So now our pastors talk about the trials of ministry. So here we go. Full of bones. Let's do this. In empowering people and preaching God's word. I love preaching. It's probably the thing I, I love to do more than anything else every week. I just love preaching. And there are also the struggles. So if I ask you your joy, I have to ask you, what's your biggest struggle in ministry right now? And Daniel, we'll start with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now, in, in all honesty, it's time. Um, uh, I am a single staffer. Like I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm the guy. Uh, they, they've had other staff in the past, but with what happened, they just, they couldn't afford to, to have more than one. I clean the church. I cut the lawn. We have five acres, so it's not a small cut. Um, you know, I, I do, I'm doing a lot. I'm, I'm finishing my doctorate. I'm, I'm doing a bunch of different stuff. And I, my biggest struggle is finding time to, to do the things that I feel that, that I have to do as a pastor. So visitations, uh, hospital, you know, all of those things, trying to fit that into the all of the other things you have to do as a pastor. Um, uh, but if I, 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 it sounds horrible, but if that's, the, if that's the worst problem I have, I think I'm doing okay. Um, but, but that's probably the biggest time because the church understands that, that I have to have family time. And so they're not willing to attack me on some of those things, knowing that, Hey, he's doing everything else. He has to spend time with his family. So they kind of cut me a little bit of slack on some of that. And uh, yeah. you know, hopefully some of that time will get returned to me in the, in the future. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> that, that's my biggest struggle right now. Yeah. We, we mow that we, uh, we cut the yard service at our church. We have four acres and, um, mainly it's my, we have a youth and worship pastor that serves on staff with me and, um, he, he does most of it. I do every once in a while I pick up a weed eater, but he likes doing it. So I let <laughs> him do it. I, I put doors on buildings. He cuts the yard. So John, what's your biggest struggle right now? And uh, being a, a new singer pastor, and it's, it's a true revitalization effort here. Um, so it's just the trying to like overcome the fear of it possibly not working and knowing my family moved here and just the trust being like, sometimes I know it's not true. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I have more energy than anyone else in the congregation be like, hey, I want it. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's go do it. Let's go. And they're all just staring at me. They're like, you yeah, know, let's go, go do it, go do it. Yeah, and, and it's, and I know that's not right. I know that's not what they're thinking, but sometimes, you know, it's, yeah. you know, the, and so it's a little nervous um, just because I've, I've been involved on, on church staff that so like the worst stuff has happened. Um, and so it's like, you know, trying to block that out and be like, okay, this Lord's calling me. Let's, let's, you know, let's keep searching for him and, and giving him the glory through it. So hey, how, far did, the, how far did he move? How far did you move John from, from like where you were to where you are now. I'm sorry, I, I didn't went, interrupt you. No, you're no good. it's fine. Just during COVID, I went from Ohio and then uh, there was like, you're the last one on. So the first one off when we had to make cuts because of people right. not coming back that we thought. Uh, and then I ended up in the Florida Keys 
um, from Ohio all the way down. And then uh, the same thing happened. There's like, oh, we thought we could afford to put our person on staff, but we really can't. Right. So I was only there like three or four months now in Virginia. So all that happened. So the, only, the only reason I ask is because I'm, I'm new. We've been serving about the same amount of time, but my move is literally 30 minutes from where <laughs> I was. I still own a house 30 minutes from here. And so like that fear that you have, I don't, because if it doesn't work out, which I don't think about, I have a, I have a place to go back to. And, and so that's why I was asking. I was like, you know, I didn't really think about that. Now I probably will, but I, no, didn't, sorry. I didn't think about that before. Before, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I no, our, that's all good. Our only child was born during COVID in, in, in February 2020, right before it really took off. So like he's only known this whole transition of, you know, and I told my wife before we got married, it's like, this is ministry. Like it's going to be ups and downs and, you know, and I love for us just to, this is where it's going to be, you know, and um, hey, John, to, let like, me ask you, when you moved, you moved to the Keys, what church did you go to down the Keys? Uh, down Amarada, called yeah. uh, Island Community Church. Okay. And you were there for just a couple of months and then you ended up. Um, yeah, about six months, maybe at the most. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, and so have you read Mark Clifton's book? Let me ask you that. Which book? Mark Clifton's book, Reclaiming Glory. No, I just wrote it down. I, I thought okay. I read most stuff like that. I, I don't have that. If, if you don't have, if you don't have it and, and, and you need it, let me know. I'll send you a copy of it. I, I give it good. to every pastor I meet with and, and like, if they go, Hey, can you help me walk with your revitalization? Good. You have to read this book first. All right. um, another, another one is Bill Hanard's, um, um, uh, dry yeah. bones book, dry bones. I forget what it's called. Um, can these bones live by Bill Hanard? Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Every page you'll like, read it. You'll bathe in it. It's amazing. So I, I did my doctoral work in revitalization. So right. um, oh, wow. I've read every book on revitalization. <laughs> yeah, I'm a church planner at heart. So this is, is a little bit, is like yeah. a, you know, trying to use some of those strategies in here. But then I'm realizing, and the more I read too, I was like, okay, I, I got to, you know, kind of pick and choose, read through this a little bit better yeah. than I one guy. Figured. One guy told me one time, he said, I, he started a new church and blowing out, going crazy. And I said, why'd you start a new church instead of going to a church that needed a, you know, revitalization? He said, it's easier to give birth than to raise the dead. Oh, but that's good. know this, the dead are worth raising. And, mm. and so it, it took me when I came into Mount Tabor and Wesley, I'm going to come to you in just a second. You're good. I came to Mount Tabor. There were 30 people and I have done 25 of their funerals. Now they were all older in our, before COVID, before the storm, we were running 120 to 140 every week, two services, multiple staff. We, we had passed hundred barrier and we're not even looking back. We lost some staff in August. We got hit by the hurricane or the tornado in October. And we went through COVID the next six months later. I, like I said, in the beginning, it was like a boxing match and we were losing. Um, we back on Easter, we had 125. And so I know there's potential there. Um, and so we we've kind of been focused on this building, but it did not happen in the first six months or the first year. Um, if you're looking at true vitalization, you're seven, eight years before you're going to see any significant, Hey, this is really starting to work. Um, and, and don't move too quickly, but there may come a point where you have to make a decision and, you know, aunt Betty's going to lose her little blessed Sunday school room. Okay. It needs to be a youth room right now. So that's what we need to do. Um, sell it from the pulpit and, and stand on your word, but you'll be fine. Just hang in there for the long haul. I'm 14 years in. And I got spiritual money in the bank. I had a youth pastor 
he, he did something stupid. He, he <laughs> tore down the roof at the ceiling of the youth room. He wanted to make his open concept. And I get a phone call from the janitor on a Saturday morning. He said, where, where are you at? I said, I'm at home. It's Saturday. Well, you want to tell me why the youth pastor is pulling down the ceiling? I said, I'm on my way. I go down to the church and I go in there and I go, Alan, what are you doing? Well, I, I want to do, it's a weekend project. It took him six months, I think, to finish that room. And I said, I said, you come into my office. I said, you're spending my spiritual money right now. You haven't earned enough money to do what you just did in that room, but it's going to come back on me. He was a leadership guy. I said, who's Whose failure of leadership is this? And he said, it, it's yours. I said, you ain't been here long enough. Now, in the end, he was there long enough. They did see the purpose of what he did and did a great job with it, but he just needed to do it. So, man, just hang in there. Yeah. You too, Daniel. Hang in there. Don't give up. I've, I've, done, I've, been, I've been through that. My last church went through something very similar. It okay. took six years to get back to where yeah. Uh, yeah, even, yeah. To, even to get back to where it was. And then I, after that six years, I, I moved on year seven. Uh, and so I, I was just the youth pastor there before in, in that scenario. And I moved gotcha. into uh, full-time mission work from that, but I watched that happen and it took six full years for it to really even get back to where it was, but they've grown even since then in the last two. So eight years total. So mm -hmm. I totally it's, understand. And it's worth agree. it. It is so worth it because yeah. at 14 years now, I'm like, man, we can do some crazy stuff now. So Wesley, what's your biggest struggle other than trying to get three preachers to shut up? <laughs> no, no, no. You, you guys are great. You guys are actually, uh, when you said revitalization, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. Because uh, I was brought in as part of revitalization or that I'm serving at. And so, yes, what you're talking about, Matthew, it's just going to take time. It's going to yeah. take time. Don't, don't run before you can crawl. Uh, don't flip on the light switch too fast. Yeah, uh, and take those slow because I mean, I, I, I that's 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 awesome, awesome stuff that you guys have been talking about. But I would say one of my one of my biggest weaknesses uh, and struggles has always been delegation, <laughs> and uh, that that just comes from just being the person that I have to have my hands into this. I've got to do that. I feel like that I've got to give my input on this, my input on that, instead of saying, Hey, can you go and do this for me? Or can, so can you go and do that? And that comes from also of being in vocational uh, management. I mean, I, I spent uh, 12 years in vocational uh, retail management. And so uh, I was that way throughout the biggest point of that era. And, but, you know, I mean, we, I had the motto and I think I may have even put this in the email I sent to you, Daniel, about and when I stop learning, I need to step aside and stop serving because I feel like that every day I'm learning something new, whether it be about maybe a church member or a different avenue of ministry that may be actually fixing to happen within our area that's going to have an effect on people within our congregation or how can I get X person involved in serving in that particular area. But I'll say though, but all in all, 
my my biggest my biggest uh, downfall is is not delegating. I mean, uh, <laughs> and I think I think oftentimes we all go through those phases. But that is just that's just that's just it in a nutshell. I mean, and part of delegation is you got to train everybody else that when things go bad, it doesn't become my fault. And that's the problem we have with delegating is, yes. okay, I'll let you go do that. But then somebody comes to you and says, why didn't that happen? Well, I, I asked so-and-so to do that. Well, you're the paid staff member, right? Mm -hmm. And so you, you've got to do that. So part of that is training everybody. Hey, if we're going to share responsibility, we're going to, we're going to share the blame too. Yes. So don't go, you know, don't go crazy. Um, what, what do you do for fun? What do you do when you're, um, Daniel, when you're not mowing the yard at the church and you're not <laughs> you know, cleaning out, I, I got, I got in trouble one time because I, I, I complained on Facebook. We have a, we're a voting precinct and so they had left 119 of those stupid little yard signs out in front of the church. So Wednesday morning, I show up to church. I'm single staff at the time. I got to clean all these yard signs up. So I went on Facebook. I called them out. I said, you can't clean up Washington. If you can't clean up Lakeland, this is ridiculous. So this pastor gets on to me and he's like, oh, well, you know, you just need to, it's a little bit of ministry. You shouldn't whine and complain on Facebook. And I was like, listen, I cleaned, I made them coffee. I unclogged a toilet on Tuesday during voting precinct, which is fun. I said, and I served them. I, I'm not asking for, I'm not saying I'm not here to serve, but I should have to clean them thermos too. So when you're not doing all the church stuff, Daniel, what, what are you doing? Oh man, I'm a, I'm a learner. I like to learn new things. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big, I so like last year on my birthday, I got bored and I, I went and bought a screen printing setup and learned to screen print just because I wanted to know. And then, so I sold it after that. I know how, and I'm like, all right, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big, uh, guitar guy. I like to play the guitar. Okay. Uh, I love to collect Bibles uh, and I like to, 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 uh, I love to read. I'm an avid reader, three books a week. Kind oh of my guy. gosh. Um, and uh, now you have yeah, your like from Liberty, learn. right? I do. Yeah. And have you been to the Bible exhibit there at Liberty? I have. Yeah. So yeah. My, my daughter yeah. is potentially going there in January. Um, mm -hmm. So pray for large offerings between now and then. <laughs> um, and yeah. but I got to take her up to CFA. Um, back in okay. April and she tried out for the collective and, and all that. So I got to look through the window with the Bible exhibit. It was right. pretty yeah. amazing. Um, what they had. I had a cousin that was on, on the, the, the main worship team. The there collective, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so I was all through that and went through their Bible museum. I've been through, there's one in uh, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. They have like a million dollar Bible that I went. It's like one of the, the five Gutenbergs. And so wow, I saw that. Wow. And, so I've, I'm really big into that stuff. And uh, you, you definitely you know, I'm, I'm a big high end Bible guy. Like I'm an Allen Schuyler Cambridge guy. And uh, so I'm, I'm all about that stuff. <laughs> so you have a D men from Liberty, but you're working on your PhD. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm eight weeks from defending my dissertation. So and what I, is that dissertation called? Uh, my dissertation is, is covering uh, Matthew and uh, church healing after pastoral conflict. So how those intertwine um, and how Jesus tells us to handle conflict in, okay. in Matthew in 18 and, and basically approaching one. And, and so it kind of goes over the whole idea of uh, what are steps we can take as past as a pastor to uh, teach expositorially how to heal after leadership or pastoral conflict. It, that's the big the, gotcha. the title of it. You've written one. Yeah. So, you know, the title of it's super long. Yeah. Uh, but that's the extent of it is, is, is gotcha. basically after church healing, after pastoral conflict. And what school so, is that? 
it's through Liberty. It's their, okay. their PhD program. Gotcha. John, what do you do for fun when you're, if you're not reading books and going to school for the, his whole life, like Daniel, what do you do for fun? I, I do read a lot as well. Maybe not that much. Um, I like going to coffee shops and then anything with my family, but um, I like anything athletic outside. So, gotcha. you know, whatever pickup sports going on, I'll, I'll jump in any league, anything I can do to, to stay as active as possible. Have you tried pickleball yet? Love I pickleball. have not. Anyone keeps telling me about it. Um, do it. You know, I, there's no, no course around or court, sorry, around here. I need to find one. So that'd gotcha. probably be my next venture. I tried pretty much everything. So that sounds like the next we, one. We have already measured. We can put two pickleball courts in our new family life center. Yeah. So there you go. That's a bad idea. Put one in our gym. I like it. It is the fastest yeah, growing sport in America right now. Pickleball. Yep. Yeah. Wesley, what do you do for fun? Um, uh, spending time with my family uh, like we all like we all in like to enjoy. Yeah. Um, watching college football this time of year. Uh, and then um, I'm, I'm going to, y'all are going to be like, okay. <laughs> Mine is watching professional wrestling. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't. I can't even, I can't even watch the commercials. I, 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 I can't. I, I was a D1 wrestler. I can't, like an actual. <laughs> You are an actual wrestler. Yeah, I can't watch it. It just it drives me. That's the difference between truth and a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching it back when Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and like those guys, and it it was fake, but today it's just it's like wrestling meets soap operas. Well, and and where where that I live in Knoxville, we have Mayor Kane. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I and I will say this: um, I never met the man. Let's see, I met him once whenever I was like ten, uh, and he was he was going through the character of Diesel in the WWE or WWF era, but he was actually busting tables on the side. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah. So as a 10 year old kid, I was like, okay, this is pretty neat. <laughs> well, then we had moved here in May and I want to think it was probably July after we'd moved here, there was about 15 of us who went out to eat after church, uh, like good Baptists do, uh, on a Sunday evening. That was when we were still having Sunday evening services. And, uh, all of a sudden we walk in this restaurant and there is Glenn Jacobs. And so uh, I asked my little one, who is not, uh, who is 10, I'm like, you know who that is? He's like, that's Kane. <laughs> I'm like, yes. And so we went up, we went up and talked to him, and he actually had a photo op. Is that, a, I'm sorry, my, is that a wrestler? I'm so yeah, confused yeah, by this conversation. Yeah. Do you know who the Undertaker is? It's the Undertaker's I'm, brother. <laughs> Who is who is the mayor of Knox County? He's the mayor, yeah. Really, the mayor, like elected yes. mayor? Yeah, no, like okay. he's really a mayor. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I lost it. They started changing all the letters to what it meant on Monday nights and Tuesday night. I, I just got confused. So, um, I'm a scuba diver. Whenever I can get away, I you know what I have found? I don't get cell phones, emails, Facebook requests, or anything when I'm 90 yeah. feet under the water, and uh, it is the most beautiful 
um, place and peaceful and quiet. And if I don't see sharks and swim with them, it was a disappointing dive. And I'll tell the dive master when I get up, I want to see sharks. So, um, I love, love scuba diving. So we got to have that, that time away too, right? It, yes. At some point we have to be able to get away. Um, last question of tonight. And I, again, appreciate you guys so much. If you had the, if some pastoral ministries professor in your area called you and said, John, Daniel, Wesley, come talk to my class. I got 20 guys sitting here who are saying they want to go into ministry. And uh, of course, when we were in college and seminary, they didn't teach us pandemic 101 or, <laughs> you know, all those things that we have to do in human conflict and relations and all that. Come talk to my class and, and tell them one thing that, that maybe we haven't told them that you weren't told in seminary or in college and, and all that, or in ministry experience practical experience that, that you want them to know, um, before they head out to go to the, cause they're all going to go to a big church and they're all going to get big budgets and they're all going to have staff until they find out that they're the only guy on staff and the toilets clogged and the yard needs to be mowed and they have a sermon to write and it's Friday afternoon. And anybody who says that a pastor is writing sermons three months out, I just want to slap that person. Like I know my, I know my sermon plans. I can tell you the series, but the message my I'm, I'm 51. My brain don't work that far out. I, I, I write Wednesday night's message before Wednesday. And I write Sundays before Sunday. If I write Sundays before Wednesday, I'll preach it Wednesday night and not even realize it. I'll be up there going, this is the wrong message. This is for Sunday. So I'm a one message at a time. I'll, I'll know the series. So I'm, I'm months out on that, but yeah, these people, like I write my sermon six months in advance, you know, sorry. So what are you going to tell that class? I'm going to tell the class, wake up. Reality's coming. And, uh, but uh, Wesley, what you going to tell that class? I actually, um, when, when you sent the questions out, I laughed when I read that question because I had the opportunity, uh, actually in the first part of this month at the same conference, uh, that the Gettys actually uh, hosted in Nashville. Uh, I was walking up to one of the, uh, booths and, uh, the guy that was over it, he actually had some of his college students there. Uh, and uh, he's like, so now how many years has you been in ministry? And I told him, he's like, all right. He's like, come on over here, kids. And so he called the three students around and uh, he's like, okay, this is my friend, my new friend, Wesley, that I just met. He's like, he's been in ministry for 12 years. He's like, they're yours. What do you want to tell them about ministry? Oh, wow. And so, yeah, we talked about 30 minutes about just practicality in ministry. I told him, number one, I'm like, stay in school and get your degree. The reason why I say that is, guys, y'all are talking to someone who just has a high school diploma. I don't have a uh, PhD or an MDiv or I know what I know what those things mean and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, I, I, I made that particular comment to them, and they're like, "Okay." I'm like, "I'm 41." I'm like, "If I could have stayed in, if I would have went on to college, if I knew then what I know now." Mm that would have been one of the things that I would have learned. But then also I'm like, on the flip side of that, ministry comes oftentimes by life experiences. And I'm like, 
you can learn the things in the classroom. But when the rubber meets the road is whenever you're on the other end of that phone call and it's something that you haven't learned in the classroom and you're having to make that particular decision on what to say to that family member or what to say to that church member. And then I also said, I was like, you know, in your interview processes, I'm like, find out everything that you can about that prospective church. Hmm. And I'm like, and understand the fact that by you doing this, it may be God saying no, or it may be God saying, hey, I'm taking you to a certain step in the process, and then I'm saying no, because getting you to that certain step is going to prepare you for your next assignment. Yeah. And I've had that to happen before. And it was, and, and so just, just being real and saying, Hey, you know, these, these are people just like you and I, the only difference is we're standing up before them, leading them. They, they have mistakes that they've made in their lives. You and I both have made mistakes. And so just, just trying to be transparent with situations and things is what that I would say to those younger folks in Indian ministry. Yeah, good. John, what would you tell that group? Uh, probably two things. One, like you were saying earlier about this, the spiritual deposits and people be able to pull that back out um, when you want to do something like those relationships, they go a long way, longer than I don't think they ever teach. At least when I went through seminary and college, it wasn't something they're like, hey, make sure, you know, where you can pull that out. The other thing is, like, be prepared for even people in ministry, the people who love what you're doing, to say no. When you have some idea or some great thing that you're like, hey, I want to do this, just be ready. People are going to say no and, you know, and be able to have a plan to, you know, it's really Lord leading you this way or is it this wisdom from them coming? Because a lot of times, especially come out of school when you're early, you have these great ideas and you're like, I'm going to go do it. I'm gonna, you tell someone, they're like, that's not going to work. <laughs> and they, they've tried it. They didn't work. And maybe you have a new vision for it. But I know when I was a right coming right out of seminary, even out of college and my first couple of positions, and I'm like, can we do this? And like, people are like, no, that's never will work. And there was no like, oh, work with me. It was more of, all right, kid, go find something else to kind of do. I know not everyone has that experience, but you know, it's looking like uh, Wes was saying the life experience was me being like, oh, okay, that's, I need to figure out what that means. Um, yeah. So that hey, John, real quick, how long was the pastor there before you? Um, Do you know? I think seven, eight years. I, still, I live in his basement because my house is not ready. So I think that's about right. Does he still live there? Yes. Okay. Okay. Just wondering. Because you're going to, you're going to end up you're walking in his shadow still, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, if, if he tried something and it didn't work and you try and you, you suggest it, that, well, it didn't work before. And that just might be a challenge you face. Just, right. just don't out there. Daniel, what are you saying to that group? Uh, golly, uh, probably 
first and foremost, is I, I would tell them God first, wife second, children third, church fourth. Um, mm-hmm. My my family is more important than than cleaning this building. Yep. Uh, or, or in all honesty, my my fam my, my job is to lead my family in a Christ like way, um, and then that that happens. And a lot of times, uh, I've seen it over and over and over again where pastors families kind of crumble because they they spend so much time focused on the other things rather than putting God first, their wife second, children third, and then God, God or their <laughs> their church last. Yeah. Um, not last, that's wrong, but, but no, you, you understand you. Yeah, what yeah. I'm saying. Um, I think that's important. And, and then I think if I was talking to a bunch of preachers, I, I would I would have to add, uh, man, learn biblical language. Learn, learn biblical. If you don't learn anything else, like Wesley, if you don't go to school, don't don't worry about that. Like I know guys who have never been to anything, have no degrees, who will preach the socks off me. Um, but man, the whole Bible opens up in ways people can't even understand uh, when you learn greek and hebrew and aramaic like that like there are there are contexts that we can't explain in english that come out the poetry the the brilliance of of the inspiration of god through these authors that yeah just a basic understanding of of hebrew or greek completely changes uh everything you're reading and and so i I would probably have to try to push that in to the conversation somewhere just because it's made such a drastic difference in my own life uh, you know, how I, how I viewed and read the Bible before, uh, I had biblical language to, to how I do it now, uh, is so different, uh, just because it means something. And, and I'm not going to say it means something completely different, but like it opens up a whole new world of, of things that I didn't even know were, were in existence because I didn't know the language. Yeah, that's good. Let me tell you my two, and we'll, we'll close with this. I would tell them two simple things. Number one, love God, love people. It, it, it is the, when I, when I started Mount Tabor, I didn't know what the word revitalization meant. I didn't know, um, you know, that was not a catch word then. It was, it was kind of pre-revitalization movement, which we see now. All I knew to do at that time was to love God, love people, preach the word. And that's what I did. And God just blessed that and honored that. And that would be like on the ministry side. And on the, the personal family side, and, and Daniel, you, you kind of hinted to this. It kind of made me think about this. My worst fear, absolute worst fear, is that, that my work at the church, that my kids will grow up and hate the church because I spent so much time at the church. And I have, over the last three years, it has been, when the storm first hit, I, I, I did 12, 14-hour days for weeks, seven days a week to, to trying to get the church back together. And finally, one of my guys said, Matt, you don't have to do this by yourself. You know, they saw me burning out. And if you looked up burnout, probably six months ago, three months ago, I, I would have been the poster child. But my worst fear has always been that my kids will hate the church, walk away from it because yes. of what I've done and what my work at the church that, I, you know, I can feel so justified in it. I'm doing God's work, you know, kind of thing. But um, so as you guys have young kids, um, man, if I could go back and do it again, I'd spend a lot more time with my family and a lot less time at the church. Um, because, uh, and, and, and I have a church that loves my family and they have taken care of us and blessed us so many times over the years. It's not even funny. Um, in fact, I finally just said, stop doing all the pastor preaching. I mean, like it was just got, just got crazy after a while. So, Hey, thank you so much again to our pastors who joined us for this first, uh, hopefully more roundtable discussions about ministry. 
and their perspectives and challenges. Uh, we look forward to more episodes of Full of Bones in the coming weeks. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and all of your podcasting platforms. Have a great day and God bless.